I'm pretty excited about kids going back to school. I love routine, and it seems like this whole summer's been nothing but uh, a lack of routine. So I'm excited about seeing what's going to happen next. I'm, I'm looking forward to how God's going to work. And during the first service, right now is when I dismissed all of our kids. And I think that's the reason why we had so many of the big families there. They were excited about getting their kids back into our regular routine and doing the, the stuff back there. And of course, because we've been out since May, little things tweaked. Of course, on Friday, our air conditioning back in the back went out just specifically in the kids' classroom. So they were, we had air conditioners like portable ones in there trying to pump it in. They had to combine over in this room. And guess what? The TV didn't work in that room. So it was just a great comedy of what you might call errors to start us out with. But I told uh, them, I said, anytime we get resistance, you know that God's doing something that God's working and there's anything that the devil can do to try and push back against that, that he will. And uh, I'm excited about what's coming up next. I'm excited about this next year and this next semester of what we're going to be doing. And we're going to be starting today a new sermon series, as you can see on the graphic that's here behind me, Living the Good Life. Living the Good Life. And I'm going to let you know that we're going to be heading into this new series, but we're going to be in the same book and same chapters we've been in all summer. Because during the summer, we were in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and we were talking about the Beatitudes. We called it flipped, because Jesus was talking about living this upside-down life. Living an upside-down way compared to how the world is going to try and teach you and guide you and direct you. He says, no, this is the way you need to live if you truly want to be blessed. Well, with this new experience or a new uh, series, we're going to expand on that. We're going to take that to the next level and talk about how we live out that upside down life because that's what Jesus talks about. That good life. Maybe you've heard him say in John chapter 10 verse 10 where he says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance or life to the full. That is this good life that he's talking about and he teaches about it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So welcome to living the good life. And I'm going to tell you this right here, right now, just in case you have this kind of side notion thinking, um, your best life now kind of thinking, we're not going to be doing the mega church, no Bible kind of teaching here. We're going to be diving deep. And some of the things, even today, are going to sting just a little bit, just like as we talked about last week. So what I want to do is I want to dive in. I'm going to dive in first by just telling you what my last week has looked like. Uh, I got back from Florida on Thursday. It was a beautiful week in Florida, except it was incredibly hot and incredibly humid, and the thunderstorms were insane. But I got to go to Florida for one reason, because we do 10th birthdays big in our house. And Dale turned 10 a couple of weeks ago. And so we got to take him to Florida. And as we took him to Florida, what he wanted to see, and I don't say we, it was just he and I. It was just a one-on-one -on -one trip. So he and I went to Florida, and he wanted to see rockets. He wanted to see space and Cape Canaveral and the Kennedy Space Center was a place where we went. Now, the cool thing was is that I was probably more excited about it than he was. Uh, because uh, I'm not a big beach person. Uh, like, actually, Lily turns 10 in two weeks, so she's going to Florida this week with Christy, and they are big beach people. They're excited about that part. I'm not a big beach person, but that Space Center thing, that was super impressive. And um, I, was, I was pretty blown away because I'm not, I'm not an engineer. 
I don't have an engineering type of brain, but to go and walk through on how they do all the things that they did, especially with limited technology in the 50s and 60s, and then even today, the things that they're planning on doing and growing in, and, um, you know, as you watch and as you learn and as you listen, uh, the things they're planning on doing by 2030, they're talking about being on the planet, having people on the planet of Mars. And I went, how in the world are they going to do this? And they walked through this whole explanation. I mean, I saw the movie Rocket Man by Disney and they got to Mars because they went into those sleep capsules and maybe you didn't see that because you don't have kids or whatever the case might be or you just thought it was just too dumb of a movie. But the thing is, I went, I don't know how they're going to pull that off. And they explained what they're going to do is they're going to send rockets ahead of time. It takes six months to get to Mars. And they're going to send rockets ahead of time with stuff to land on the planet. And then what they're going to do is they're going to send a manned spacecraft. They're going to connect with the space station, the International Space Station. In that connection, there's going to be something they've already put in place there that's going to be an inflatable rocket. And they're going to connect to it. It's going to inflate and be the size of a 6,000 square foot house. And it's going to spread out solar panels and they're going to maneuver all the way to Mars over six months in this giant inflatable capsule and solar panels to power it to get there. Like my mind was completely blown. I was just going, I cannot believe some of that. And it, it just, the things that people can see, like the vision they can see and how to make that happen and the inventions they come up with, I, I seriously can't comprehend that. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I'm just listening, and I'm just blown away by that. But there's other things that just really, I love about the trip as well. And one of them is, is I'm a people watcher. I don't know about you, but I love to watch people. I, and Kennedy Space Center gave me a great opportunity to do it because there were so many people. I, I was by far the minority in the fact that I was one of the few that spoke English. There was people from all over Europe and I was meeting different people just, just having a chance to talk to them. But wow, it was so incredible just to watch cultures and then watch what people were, were wearing. And, and I'm not sure about you, but do you get Facebook memories that pop up from like 10 years ago when you went on some big trip and you're like, I can't believe I wore that? I was saying that about people as I was looking up. They're going to they're say that in 10 years. Oh, I can't believe I wore that. Just watching people, watching how they act, watching how they, they react. It's such an incredible thing to see happen. And, you know, uh, as I said, I like to watch people. Kennedy Space Center gave me the opportunity. The beach gave me an opportunity. Lots of things to see at the beach. Lots of things we won't talk about. Everywhere else we went, even visiting Walmart, Walmarts in different places are very different, just, by, just in case you didn't know. Um, I went to a Walmart in Kentucky last year. It's exactly what you'd expect. Uh, and, and so uh, watching people is very interesting. And I remember something that John Stott, uh, I, I read a while back about. He talked about people and why they kind of do what they do. And really, they're looking for something in this world. And he kind of narrowed it down to three things. The things that they live for. The first thing they actually wrote down was transcendence transcendence is they want to be part of something greater than themselves that they want to to really look beyond what they have here on their life on earth they, they want to leave a legacy uh, the second thing was significance they want to know who they are why they're here and where is this life going and the third thing he wrote down was identity and community who's my tribe and where do i fit Who's my tribe and where do I fit? And as, as you stop and think about people and you watch people, you can see 
what they do, what they wear, how they act, how they react, kind of fits into those three main categories. They fit into that category. And the question that I have as I'm looking at them is, who are they trying to impress? Who is it they are trying to impress with their life and and the the clothes they wear and the the way they act and the the way they carry themselves? Who are they trying to impress? Who are they trying to to influence? As a matter of fact, um, I'm not sure if you know a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey. Um, He does financial solutions and we have taught classes here before with him, uh, Financial Peace University. And he has a quote in his teachings. I remember hearing it and just, just thought it was a great quote. But he said this. He said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And then I expanded on that just a little bit more by saying, well, we want to impress people we don't even know with the possibility of never seeing them again and really not even understanding that they don't care. But that's why people act the way they act and they dress the way they dress. They want to impress, but, but why? Why do they want that? My oldest son Camden, when he was a little kid, he used to always say, hey, hey, who are you trying to compress? And, and it was one of those things we'd be like, yeah, who are we trying to, well, in his words, compress, but impress? How are we doing this? Who is it that we're trying to impress? Why do we want to impress them? Who is it we're trying to influence with our lives in some way to like us, in some way to follow us, in some way to to friend us on social media? I mean, think about social media. Social media, you, you have what we call influencers. There are people on social media, they are specifically paid by companies to sell their product and they're hoping their influence will get you to do so. My kids and I, we love to watch Dude Perfect, which is a trick shot group. They started on just in a garage, real small, real thing. Now they have this huge warehouse and all this merchandise and they do all these crazy things. They go on these bucket list trips that are paid for by people who want you to buy their product. As a matter of fact, Dude Perfect has their own line of Nerf products. They, they're sponsored by Oreo. They're sponsored by Cheez-Its. They're sponsored by all different things because they want you to buy their products. And the thing is, is that my guess is you could talk to anybody anywhere that's involved in social media and they will tell you about different influencers and the products they try and sell because that's a big deal the funny thing is is for me I didn't know about it until about five years ago and the reason why I didn't know about it until even five years ago was because my little guy Andale and Lily and Levi they all graduate well I keep using the word graduated they promoted from kindergarten to first grade and um in that they had a graduation video and they asked all the kids that, that question what do you want to be when you grow up now I don't remember what you might have said when you were in kindergarten first second grade but generally it was like police doctor firefighter baseball player things like that you know what half the kids said in that video they wanted to be youtubers they wanted to be youtubers and I'm like I don't even know what that means and that's the whole idea they just wanted to be popular and influence people they wanted to have people look up to them and the funny thing is is as we're going into back to school and all the things that are back to school I'll tell you one of the things that I didn't like was going back to school in August and I didn't like going back to school in January and the reason why wasn't just because I didn't like school but it was because everybody was always trying to impress everybody else with the new stuff they had 
They had their new shoes, new shorts, new shirts, you know, the polo brand, whatever. I don't know what popular thing, Guess and Polo were the two big things when I was in high school. But that, that was the things that they wanted to impress you. And again, the question goes back to why? Why do we want to impress people? What lengths will we go to to impress people? And how are you trying to influence them and other people with the life that you live and the clothes that you wear and the way that you act? How is that? And why is that? It's a question I kept asking myself and I had more questions. I said, you know, our lives are full of influence. Who has influenced you? I mean, I truly believe that we are people who are mosaics. A mosaic is a bunch of broken pieces put together to make a larger type of picture. We're, we're mosaics. We have broken little pieces of all the different people who have influenced us along the way. People that, that we really look up to. People that, that we want to become like and, and admire. And sometimes it's people who we don't really want to be like, but we still have their influence in our lives. And then... Because we are people like that, we pass our influence on to other people as well. But again, the question I have is how? How are we influencing people? How are we influencing our world? And I ask that because today, as we dive in, you're going to see that influence is a major part of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, our motto from the very beginning of Paragon Church has been come as you are, be changed. And what's that last phrase? You guys remember it? Go change the world. How are we going to change the world? Well, the big answer in all of that is probably through influence. That is how we are going to change the world. I know I've asked you a lot of questions this morning, but I think we need to break down this word of influence with some questions. And those questions are the same questions that if you remember in English class or maybe you took journalism, it's when you want to break down the story, you ask the five W's. You guys remember what the five W's are? Who, what, when, why, where. And then we always threw in how, but that wasn't a W, so it doesn't count. Um, when you look at that, and you look at the word influence, those five W's, I think, will help us understand why it is so important. So let's look at those five W's as we look at influence and see why it's so important for us. The first question that I would look at is what? The what of influence. What is influence? Influence is the power one has in affecting a person or an event. It is, is through our actions or through our words we can affect others to do this or that, to say this or that. And from a scriptural point of view, Christians can actually influence people to do good or to do evil by how we live. And that's an important thing for us to grasp. See, the most often powerful force that we have to affect others is our own lives. The thing is, is we sometimes don't even know it. We also don't know the who. The who of influence. Who do we affect through our influence? The first and foremost is those who are closest to us. The people who are closest to us, our immediate family. You know, children watch you like a hawk. They watch your every move. Children are great imitators of their parents and that shows the power of influence but also by what we do and don't do say and don't say um, we affect the lives of our neighbors we affect the lives of our family we affect the lives of fellow Christians we affect those people basically we just come in contact with on a daily basis so as adults we need to be aware especially even here at the church because there are little ones here at the church that look to us as an example for Christian living. I take that very personally in my own life, obviously because I stand up in front. 
I don't want to be that one who says one thing and does another. What kind of examples do we give people? So we have the what, we have the who, what about the when? When do we affect people through our influence? Every moment. If you're breathing, there's a good chance you're affecting somebody through your influence. Many times, we don't even know it. So that's why it's so important to know why we do what we do. The next one is where. Well, just like any time is the when, anywhere is the where. Wherever we're at. We could do it at the workplace. We could do it at home. We could do it when you go to a ball game, when you're at school, when you're in the car, when you go to the gym, when you're worshiping together. Even social media has its own power to influence. Wherever we go, our influence will follow. The last question I think we have to look at with that W is a why. Why does it matter? The why of influence. Why is our influence important? And I say this, because people will judge Jesus by our actions and our influences as his followers. That's why it's so important. And those influences will have a long-lasting effect, quite possibly for generations. My guess is if you're a believer in Jesus, it's because somebody, even possibly in your family, ahead of you was a believer in Jesus who influenced you. There are people that you may know that don't go to church anymore because somebody influenced them in an opposite way and kept them away from Jesus and pushed them away. It's incredibly important. I tell you this because what we do matters. How we live matters. The people we interact with, they matter. The legacy we live matters because it will continue on. And guess what? Our influence that we have is directly related and directly connected to our character. Well, guess what? We just got done going through in the Beatitudes for the the eight weeks over the summer. Character. The character that says, this is what should be in your life. This should be the progression in your life as a follower of Jesus. So it makes no uh, real coincidence that Jesus would go into, okay, this is how you influence with that character. And so if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16 today. And we're going to look at this influence. And Jesus talks about two very powerful influences in this world, probably ones that you've heard of before. But this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, today we're looking at what might be a familiar passage to you. You probably have heard about salt and light more than once. But my prayer is that even if you know it, that God speaks to you today and changes the way that maybe you see it and changes the way that we are even living in our daily lives. I mean, my prayer this week, and really is specifically for this message, but kind of because of this, this thinking and this question is foundational to the entire Sermon on the Mount. My question that, that I would love in prayer is that we would answer is, how can you effectively influence your world? How can we effectively influence our world for Jesus? How can we do that effectively? See, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' aim, I think, was to create a lifestyle in his followers that would eventually 
and ultimately glorify God. That, that in our lives we would point to him. To live this good life for him. He, Jesus, was an influencer. As he was speaking, he was speaking into. As a matter of fact, the Latin word for influence meant to flow into. To flow into, to speak into. Not to try and overpower with power and force change from the outside, but instead speak into and allow the inside change to work its way out. It's that whole change of the heart that he talks about that we even went through with the Beatitudes. And if you remember last week, you remember that, that he has called us to a mission. And that mission is to take what he's spoken into us and take it out into the world. But that's going to lead to persecution. That's going to lead to people talking behind your back. That's going to be, be people saying, hey, you shouldn't be living that way or whatever it might be. But he goes from talking about persecution to, to being salt and light or influencing this hostile world is against us. Because we're at war. And we're going to talk about that more here so shortly. But if you really stop and think about it, the only way that we can be salt and light is to live out the Beatitudes. That's the only way we can truly be salt and light. That's what makes it possible to be salt in a decaying world and to be light in a dark world. But that's what we have to do as kingdom citizens. We, where there is decay, we need to be salt. Where there is darkness, we need to be light. We need to influence the world around us in this way. And I say... We need to be. I said that a handful of times, and I probably should change my words because Jesus doesn't say we need to be. Do you know what he actually says? We are. We are. He says, you are salt, you are light. So we need to understand we are influencers. God has influenced us, and we now influence others. So the first thing Jesus says, let's just break it down. Verse 13, you are salt. You are salt. And as we read it and as Jesus said it we need to remember the audience and we need to remember why Jesus is, is telling us this the first thing we need to understand is in that first century perspective salt was much more important and valuable than it is even today I think it's important I mean when you get french fries without salt on it they're gross so salt is still important today however back then it was much more important because it was such an important use that the Romans even said that the, it's only second in importance to the sun itself I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing God actually required with grain offerings the people who brought the grain offerings to salt it God created a salt covenant with King David in 2nd Chronicles Salt was highly valued. Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. Kind of a crazy thing to think about, but if you uh, have ever heard that term that's been said that he's not worth his salt, that's where the term comes from. Is that he's not worth to be paid in salt. And so we see its value. We see its importance. And the reason why I tell you that first is that I believe what Jesus calls us salt and says you are salt He's being very clear to say you are important and you are valued in God's kingdom work. How many times how many times have we discredited ourselves and said well I can't because 
I can't serve in God's kingdom because I can't share the gospel because I can't. We like to pull that back. But the thing is, he didn't say, hey, you are salt unless. You are light unless. No, he says you are salt and you are light. We, we, we have to understand the importance and the value that we are and that we are needed. Speaking about being needed, you know what the needs for salt were in those first century people? I mean, these are them. One, purity. Two, preservation. Three, flavor or seasoning. Four, healing. And five, is to create thirst. Now, the crazy thing, when, when Jesus is talking, he does all these weird coincidences. Because it's just very coincidental. That's exactly what believers in Jesus should be doing. They should be living pure. They should be preserving and helping keep the spread of decay from happening. We should flavor this world with the taste of Jesus. We should be a part of the healing and we should create a thirst for Jesus. Coincidence, I know, but we'll just, we'll just put that aside. Those are the five things, but even let's dive a little bit deeper into those five things and what they look like. First, purity. Matthew 5, 8, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see the kingdom of God. Pure in heart, being pure in heart will show itself in our daily life. Being pure in heart will show itself in our motives. Purity will show itself in our actions. Purity will show itself in our hopes and our desires and what we actually live for. Our walk will actually match our talk. Purity is a big deal. And here's what we need to understand and why it's so important because people are looking at our influence everything we say and everything we do matters whether we like it or not I remember when I was in high school loved the Phoenix Suns Charles Barkley played for the Phoenix Suns and he had a commercial I believe it was a Nike commercial I don't remember what he was selling but I remember getting up from him saying these words I am not a role model and I'm like yes you are as a high schooler I understood it people understand it doesn't matter what platform you have you are a role model to someone for him he was a huge role model I understood that he was actually trying to shift that to the parents and don't let the parents just give it to him but it doesn't change the fact that he still is a role model we are role models and it's important that we stay as Christians pure and pure in heart because what we see next in verse 13 explains it he says this uh, Jesus says but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. Now, I already told you I wasn't good in school. Um, I didn't like school. I wasn't good in chemistry. I didn't get into all the compounds and all that kind of stuff like that. But salt is one of the strongest compounds there is. It is sodium chloride. And I say it's one of the strongest compounds it is because if you have a bag of salt pure salt that you put in your pantry and you're like me and you forget you have things in your pantry and it gets put in the back and 10 years later when you go to move you realize you have that salt back there still guess what it's still going to be a good 10 years from now as it is today it's just the truth of the matter it doesn't break down so when Jesus says but if the salt should lose its taste how does salt lose its taste if it's such a strong compound you know how it happens when impurity gets into it when compromise gets into it when outside influences get into it see salt is good as long as it maintains its integrity same with us compromise is a deadly cancer to our witness to the world 
If we are not pure in heart, we lose our saltiness. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. When we are pure in heart and we keep our commitments to Christ and we share Christ in our lives, both with our actions and with our words, the world's going to take notice. And not just the world, just the people that are around us. The thirst for living water will be there. They're going to say, man, what do you have? We're going to create that thirst. So first is purity, but the second thing there is preservation. See, salt is a preservative. In the days before there was refrigeration for meat, you had to keep the meat from rotting, from decay, from corruption. They would rub salt on it. I didn't understand that. So I did some research this week going, well, how did that even work? Well, it turns out that bacteria that causes decay and corruption and rot is carried on moisture. And so when you put salt on it, guess what salt does? It destroys the moisture, so it destroys the bacteria. So in that, you are slowing the process of decay considerably. That's why they use it for healing wounds back then as well. They rub salt on it to get that bacteria and that decay to slow. So the influence of salt slows the, the spread of decay. Guess what you are? You're salt. Guess what your job is? To slow the spread of decay. Would you say this world's in the midst of decay? Would you say that the church might be not being the salt that it needs to be to slow that spread? How do we do it? How do we slow the, slow the spread? Well, do me a favor. Go back to the Beatitudes. You, first of all, will be poor in spirit. Then you'll mourn over sin. You'll be meek. You'll be merciful. You'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be peacemakers. You'll be pure in heart. You think those things in your life will make a difference in others? Absolutely. You will change the world. But here's the thing I think we need to most of all understand in all of this. Salt doesn't work if it doesn't get put on the meat. If there isn't any contact, there'll be no impact. We need to make contact in order to make an impact. Salt in a salt shaker or Christians in a church don't matter nearly as much as that's been spread out. The ones that go and they have that contact to make an impact. It's the reason why on September 4th, Labor Day weekend, we have our Be the Church weekend. So we can go and make that impact. So we can go and leave the church and have that salt shaker be shaken. Well, that kind of goes for the same with flavor, doesn't it? Salt shaker sitting on the table isn't going to change your french fries. It's not until you actually shake it out on there. Seasoning makes something taste better. My question for you is, is how have you made Christianity taste to others? How have you been a good different that they could taste and see that the Lord is good? How do you handle yourself? How do you talk about certain things and certain people? What do you talk about? How do you act? How do you react? Remember I told you that's the things I like to watch about people. Those things speak volumes. Do you trust in God and do your actions speak to that? So the world's watching, your family's watching, your friends are watching. Are you producing a thirst for Christ? I told the first service this. I'm not sure if Christy wanted me to share this or not, but I did anyway, and I'll share it again, even now, now it's being recorded. Last year, we went on that big three-week road trip to Maine, going to my sister's wedding, and two days into the trip, we stopped in St. Louis to see the arch, and while we were watching the arch, somebody broke into our van and stole all of our stuff. 
I came out and Christy probably gave me the best compliment later that, well, maybe not the best, but one of the best that she's ever given me. She said, you handled yourself very well. I'm very impressed. Because everything on the inside of me, when I saw our window laying on the ground, wanted to break more windows and wanted to break some people and wanted to do some chasing down and beating people up. That, that's all the things on the inside. There was all kinds of anger and all kinds of rage and I don't think I've ever felt more violated. As a matter of fact, I still now park where I can see my car because I don't want to leave it in a place where I can't see it most of the time because of that. You want influence. That influenced some of my decisions that I make even still today. But when she told me that, it felt good to know that my kids were watching and they maybe saw that too. What if I'd reacted differently? And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because there's plenty of times that I do react differently. But hearing that that time, did I create a taste for what is good? See, as the salt of the earth were to infiltrate the earth with seasoning of godliness, a seasoning of, of fairness and holiness and justice and righteousness. Uh, at God's people, they should be known for their courage and their convictions, but also their compassion and their grace and their humility and their love towards others. I mean, one of the commentary writers that I read said this, salt is only useful when it gives of itself. And when I look at that, I think, do we give of ourselves? Are we useful? Does the world know that we even exist, both as individuals and as a church? Have we influenced them in enough to make a difference? Or do we lose our saltiness because of compromise? Do we lose our saltiness because we're never willing to give of ourselves? Jesus says you're salt. We need to be it. And the next thing we need to understand is that you are light. You are the light of the world. And again, looking at the audience, we know what light is. We get to flip a switch, no big deal. But he says here that you are light and there's a lot of deep meaning in the words of that first century audience. See, if you look at the Old Testament, light, it stood for revelation. It stood for instruction. It stood for hope and joy and righteousness. It stood for salvation. It stood most of all for God's presence. Then Jesus in John 8, 12 brings all those things of the Old Testament together and says what? I am the light of the world. But he doesn't just keep it there. He turns to you and me and says you are the light of the world. Not that you're just kind of like a light of the world. No, you are the light of the world. We have that title. We who follow Jesus reflect the greater light of Christ and in doing so, we point people to him. I remember my kids had a shirt a while back that said, be the moon. And the whole idea is the moon does not create its own light, but it sure does light up the darkness when it's full, doesn't it? That's the idea that we have. And how does the sun get its, or how does the moon get its light? It reflects the sun. We also, in the same way, need to reflect the sun. And we've talked about it before, though. See, we're at war. Us reflecting the sun has taken the mission out. God has given us, our commander has given us a mission to go and to make disciples. But guess what? We're going to find resistance along the way. And that resistance is going to come in the form of getting beat up and persecuted and all of the things physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. All those things are going to come with it. But our battle and that fight that we have isn't against flesh and blood. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about it in that last chapter of Ephesians. He says, hey guys, put on the armor of God. But why does he say put on the armor of God? 
the verse right before he goes into the whole explanation is chapter 6 verse 12 he says these words for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities and against cosmic powers of this and this next word is important darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens can I ask you a question how do you defeat darkness when you walk into a room and it is dark how do you defeat darkness turn on the light I'm not sure about you guys but how many of you have ever gone to a sporting event or a concert uh, if you went to a concert in the 80s it's a little different than it is now uh, you pull out your lighter and you'd wave it back and forth because everybody there was smoking something so they would do that but since we live in a new technological age they would pull out their phones and on their phones they'd hit that light button and one light can make a difference one person standing for Christ can make a difference. But what if the whole church did it? What if every one of you pulled out your phone right now and turned on his light? And one guy this morning actually said, oh, I got an app that has a lighter. And he turned around, it's actually a lighter app. But, but look, as, as you pull your phone out and the light starts to come on, it begins to light up the room. You dispel the darkness when it's just not that you are light, that we are light. That we are working together in all of this. See, our purpose is to shine. That is the purpose of light. So, in fact, Jesus tells them that. And I'm almost wondering, I mean, I think some people think that Jesus was very stoic and just did his, you know, talk like this. I think he was being almost a little bit sarcastic when he says this next line here. Because he's pointing out something that is so obvious that people had to chuckle just a little bit at it. Listen to what he says. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. It gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I mean, in modern terms, he's like, don't pull out your flashlight and then cover it up with your hand. Light the way. Light the way not only for yourself, but also for those who are also walking in the darkness. That's what we do with the light that we've been given. Let people see that your righteous life is backed by a witness to share Christ. Some may slander you. Some may take, talk bad about you. Some may persecute you. But Jesus just told you two verses before that it was going to happen. So we're going to be cool with that. And we're just going to live for Jesus. As a matter of fact... When you hit somebody with a light that's been walking in darkness, how are they going to react? I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I should even admit this, but probably one of my favorite superhero movies is Lego Batman. I know that's weird to even say. But Lego Batman, there's a scene when Batman is talking to Alfred the butler, and he says, oh, I'm going to go to bed. And he says, sir, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he opens the blinds, and he goes, and he does this overreaction to the light hitting him in the face. But that's going to happen. We're going to get a reaction. It shouldn't change whether or not we live for Jesus. Be salt and be light. But the thing is, is even as we've seen throughout it all, we can't do it on our own. At no point in time has Jesus ever said, hey, I want you to live this life and I want you to do it by your own ability. Because you know what? We're not able to do it on our own. What we do it is through his influence, through his power. In Acts 1.8 it says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. To be my witnesses means you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be salt and to be light. You're going to have that power in you. 
He's influenced us, that inflow into our hearts, and we get to be a conduit to pass it on to others. That is what we are. And the first others are those who are closest to you. They're the ones who are watching you the closest. They're the ones who are going to understand and know what you truly value. They're watching and see what you truly treasure. They're watching and seeing what you truly invest and live your life for. You can blow up a smoke screen if you want to, but they're going to see through it because they're the ones that are closest to you. They're going to know that your life and your walk either match your talk or doesn't. They're going to know that. They're going to know that about you. And here's the thing. I think because so many people don't have a walk that matches up with their talk, but they try to blow a smoke screen, people have walked away from Jesus. People have walked away from the church. For many, Christianity was just this convenient framework for constructing that that tribalism that they needed. Remember those three things that John Stott talked about? The transcendence, the significance, and the identity of community? You can find that in the church. And they found that, but they forgot to look and find that radical, life-transforming gospel. They weren't the salt and the light. And the people that were with them weren't the salt and the light. So when things got tough, or when questions came up, they walked away. And we see the results of it today. I told you, How we live will affect our legacy and possibly legacy for generations. So my question for you is this, is how is your life influencing others? What is your life telling them? Because one way or another, it's telling them something. So what is it? See, we have the most significant calling in all of humanity to influence the world for Christ. We have the most significant calling in all of humanity to influence the world for Christ. So Can I challenge you to let the words of Christ change you? To change your priorities, to change our calendar, to change our habits, and let it radically transform us so that we can be the salt and the light that goes and changes the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the words you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather and be able to be challenged. And God, I know I'm the first one to be challenged in this room. Even as I studied, I just know, like I said last week, I fall short. I want to be that positive influence, but there's too many times when I act or react or live or speak differently than how you'd want me to do it. I do want to say I'm thankful for the fact that you have grace and mercy for me. That when I do stumble, when I do fall, that God, you're there to pick me up and encourage me to keep on that walk give you all the glory for that give you all the praise for that because I can't do it on my own help me to be that light help me to be that salt that influences this world for you and I pray that not just for myself but for this congregation for every person that is here every person that is watching online for the ones who came to the first service that God that we can be the salt and the light that our compromise has not made us flavorless but instead that we still serve a purpose and that purpose is to glorify you pray it in your name amen as we sing this last song i'm going to slide over here off to the side love to talk to you about how jesus can change your life because maybe you're struggling with that maybe you're you've been influenced by somebody and you just saw something that well maybe it was a little bit hypocritical 
and you're struggling with that and saying, I can't take those steps. I can't follow after, you know, whatever thing might be there. There's lots of excuses because of other people. But don't forget that, that we're not supposed to be looking to other people. We're supposed to be looking and admiring Christ first and foremost, letting him influence us so we can influence the world. I'll be over here as we sing this last song. Copy.